Aguinaldo! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of the really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello, it is Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports application. That's right, plus all the podcast platforms. Wherever you may find them, it must be a formal Friday. How about that? Welcome to Friday, everybody. It is very formal today. We're all dressed up. I mean, not really, but uh, if if it were to be that way. Yeah, Moore's wearing her hat. We always seem to go more casual. On formal Fridays. It's just sort of how it works here in this show. It's ironic. We usually get out of here quicker after the show. We all have a nap planned. Yes. It seems like casual Friday is more appropriate. It's a little bit more appropriate, but it's not <laughs> as much fun. Then you don't get to call it the application, and it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have any uh, alliteration before it, which is kind of exciting. Uh, I, was, uh, I was watching. Did you see the video of Pete throwing the ball? Like, we talked about his wind sprints that he oh, was the, running the other day, right? The old Patrick Mahomes from Pete? Yeah. So we talked about Pete running 100-yard gassers the other day in the 95-degree heat, which was impressive, to say the least, right? I mean, Pete's chugging up and down the sideline, and he moves pretty good. And I told you that my dad has had this sort of, like, rivalry in his head about Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete doesn't know about it. The rest of the world doesn't care. But my dad is like all over the fact that he is more athletic than Pete, even though he's four years older than Pete. And, you know, he saw Pete kind of jump up and touch the the door frame and was like, come on, that was like two inches. That wasn't too impressive. And my dad still plays softball fairly competitively. So he feels like he's, uh, you know, in better shape in any event. I watched that yesterday, and if you haven't seen it, it, it's worth a moment. It's basically Pete running some scout team, and he makes a good throw, kind of like a whole shot kind of a throw uh, to uh, number 34, and then he sort of moves. He scrambles to his right, and he does a little no-look pass, kind of Patrick Mahomes style, kind of throwing back across his body. Then he's running his wind sprints and all that, and it it got me to thinking, yeah, my dad doesn't have a chance. Well, do you... Do you think that word got back to Pete Carroll that your dad's been talking all this trash? So he's just like, oh, cameras are out. Let's uh, let's show off a little. Let's let Larry Salk know what's going on. <laughs> he's getting all cocky with his rule that everybody's now following. Maybe I'll just, you know, show off a little bit. You know what, Maura? It's not impossible. I don't know that I would take money on the fact that that's what's happened, but is it impossible? Hey, Pete's got spies everywhere, so maybe he's uh, maybe he's heard a little bit about this uh, one-sided rivalry and decided that uh, he wants to wants to kind of show him up. Anyway, pretty cool to see Pete doing it. We got a lot of Seahawks conversation this morning as uh, they get ready for their second preseason game t- uh, tomorrow. You know what I kind of realized. We're talking through like what the normal playing time is for all of the players during these preseason games. And if you go back a ways to when they had four, right? You mean, you know, two years ago, they used to have four preseason games, right? And then the next week they would start the season. And generally, not always, but generally the the pattern for the starters was you would get a series or so in the first game, right? Or maybe maybe even a quarter. You would you get a quarter. Let's call it a quarter in the first game. You get, you know, by by the third game, you'd get into the, you know, a half or so, maybe even into the second half. And then the fourth game, you didn't want to play anybody because you wanted to give them a full two weeks off 
before playing in the regular season, which made perfect sense. So that fourth preseason game was sort of stupid. And so I think there's been a thought that the third preseason game would now be like the fourth preseason game because you want to give everybody two weeks off before the season starts. Except there's a bye week in between the two. There's like a full week off between the third preseason game and then the first. It doesn't go third preseason game on on one weekend. Then the next weekend they play the Rams in the regular season. There's a whole week in between a bye week. So as much as I'm looking forward to seeing the guys go out and play tonight and, you know, sort of assume or tomorrow rather and sort of assuming that that's going to be their big moment. It's not impossible that they could do it next week and continue that ramp up thing, trying to get their communication, you know, under control, et cetera, because they do have a week in between, which I didn't realize. I sort of thought it was the way it used to be where you would go, you know, one, two, three, four preseason games. Then the next week would be the regular season. Now you're going to go one, two, three preseason games, take a bye week, which is sort of how they treated the fourth preseason game and then start the regular season. So. Anyway, I don't know what that means for uh, who plays how much tomorrow. Pete has not really said. I was just uh, you know flipping through Twitter, excuse me, X yesterday and saw Bill Belichick basically said, yeah, we're going to make that decision real soon and based on you know who's healthy, et cetera. So maybe Pete's in the same camp of kind of waiting to see who's healthy and who's not. Or maybe like Bill, he just doesn't feel like telling you what he's going to do and we'll all be surprised when we see it tomorrow. But uh, I really enjoyed preseason game number one. Obviously looking forward to preseason game number two. Uh, while uh, you were out paddleboarding yesterday, Maura, great job by you. I uh, was not. I don't know what was going on. I had a full-on migraine yesterday. So it's like in and out of consciousness on my couch all day, which is the worst. But I I fell asleep as the game was starting at 11 o'clock. I woke up in the 8th. The 8th? Good timing, I guess. Woke up in the (laughs) 8th. So I know everybody's upset about, you know, people getting thrown out on the bases. I didn't see it, so I'm not upset about it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying it wasn't aggravating. I'm not saying they didn't do stupid things yesterday. And I'm not saying Scott's not noticing and mad about it, too. one was mind-blowing. I didn't see it live, so I'm not nearly as mad about it. I saw the replay of it. I saw what happened. Guy made a play, right, and then dropped the ball. Dylan just kind of exited stage right for the uh, for the dugout. He just tapped the base and thought he was out. And yeah, out. yeah, you don't want to do that. You want to, you know, kind of kind of peek out into left field and see what's going on. But I didn't see that live. So a confession, I'm not angry about it today as others might be because you know when you don't see it live, it doesn't have nearly the same frustration level. I did wake up, though, to see the rally that they put together, right? You get a runner on base, you get a double, right? And then Canzone, really nice at bat to take a walk. I know that he's not hit probably as much as we'd like, but in a couple of different spots, he's taken a walk late in the game to move the line. He did that before the Kate Marlowe Grand Slam a couple of weeks ago, right? So he takes a walk, which turns out to be the tying run. And then Julio steps up and absolutely obliterates the first pitch that he saw. And I was like, great, I can go back to sleep. So I, I didn't. I, I stayed up. I saw Cal Rowley hit the home run. I didn't pull the Larry Salk rule. And I did uh, end up watching the ninth. Kind of a little one, two, three. Ninth inning. Are we are we now good with the ninth? Brash has saved the last two games. Are we now totally fine in the ninth? Or are we still a little nervous about what the ninth inning looks like? How do we feel? After that series, I honestly don't know if we can judge much of anything until they get out of Kansas City. Okay, that so was like a weird vortex. It's of just like too this strange. 
what is going on. But um, yeah, I mean, they what they win three or four, right? In the long run, it, which is it, exactly it, what we said they needed them to do. Stressful game. All we said they needed them to do was just win three out of four, right? And keep winning series, especially four game series. Hey, you t- you take three out of four. You're going to keep you've, you've erased the three games that you lost in a row by winning the next three games in a row. And you set yourself up now to go take on Houston, which is going to be an enormous series this weekend. I will say the one thing you didn't do by having to play such stressful games is you didn't exactly line your bullpen up and get it ready for Houston. Brash has now thrown the ninth inning the last two games in a row. Fortunately, you didn't throw Munoz or Topa the last two games. So my guess is that's going to be your sort of primary bull. And I got Sacedo the night off yesterday as well. So you, you sort of you've done some of it, but it sure would have been nice to have used guys that maybe you weren't going to need quite as uh, quite as urgently over the next few days. But other than that, look, they kind of did what they needed to do in the ninth inning. I'm not telling you that all of a sudden the uh, emergency is over, but I think all of a sudden you look at it and say, okay, with all these games in the ninth inning, there were really four or if you want to say five issues, four of them were with Munoz. Only one of them was with Matt Brash. Okay, well, maybe Brash is fine, <laughs> right? I mean, he did have one blow up, which happens, by the way, for all of the crowing about how much everybody misses Paul Seawald. He had a huge blow up during one of his outings in Arizona. And by the way, last night they got the save. It wasn't him who was in there. I forget the guy's name. And I don't know if that's because he'd pitched too many times. I don't know all the details, but I saw that Arizona got the win and it wasn't Seawald who got the save. So, you know, it's not impossible that Paul would have blown maybe, I don't know, one of those or so. I also think you look at it and say, all right, Brash had one bad outing and then had two pretty good ones. He gave up the home run, but he had the 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 bandwidth to do it. And last night he was just fine or yesterday he was just fine. And now it really becomes more of a Munoz issue whose velocity is down, whose slider doesn't look exactly the same and who's been leaned on quite a bit recently to do a little bit more than he's done. I'll play some of the Jerry DePoto sound to back that up here in a few minutes. Does that change the way you look at the ninth inning? Yeah, a little bit. It doesn't make it fine. It doesn't make everything A-OK. It's still a concern, and they're going to need Munoz to turn this thing back around because he's just too valuable. But it, at least for me, alleviates some of that concern, knowing maybe it's a Munoz issue and not an issue with the inning itself. You'll hear from Jerry coming up in 20. Right after everything you need to know next, it's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, as goes Julio, so goes the Mariners. We've heard that before, and man, has he ever been hot. 12 for his last 21, but with a huge clutch hit on Wednesday night, ended up being the game winner. And then last night, even bigger. Here's Julio Rodriguez, the stretch and the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep to left field. Way back, going and going. the Mariners a 5-4 to four lead here in the top of the eighth inning. That ball was gone before he even made contact with it. Just seeing him start the swing was like, oh boy, this is going to go a long, long way. 
400 and what, 20, 30, something like that, 425 feet, right around there. Just a huge blast to left field. Got all of that one, and it ended up helping this team to a win yesterday. He's on a tear. The team is riding, riding the wave. It's fun to watch. Scott's certainly enjoying he's it. He's on fire. He's electric. I mean, when you come in, they bring a guy throwing that hard uh, with that kind of fastball, and he's, he's looking forward. He's getting it. Um, he has made a little adjustment mechanically, and it has really paid off. And I uh, give him credit for that, kind of searching for things, looking for things, and give a ton of credit to our hitting coach, Jared DeHart, trying, and Julio uh, found something a few days ago, and they need to stick with it because it's, it's awesome to watch right now. Now it's nice to see, and obviously all that hard work behind the scenes pay off with what he does in those big moments and typical Julio fashion, he deflected some of the some of the credit. I mean, I feel like that's something that I'm able to do, but at the same time, that's what I try to do every day. You know, try to like do my part, uh, put the little grain there that I can do every day. So I feel like I, I was I was I was really proud and grateful that I was able to do that in that moment for the team. You know. I like that he mentions the team, and then that's a big part of why he's out there doing what he does. It was a nice moment for sure. Cal Raleigh hits a uh, solo home run in the next inning. Matt Brash closes it out, and as it turns out, it wasn't always pretty. That's for sure, but the Mariners win three of four in Kansas City. They'll head to Houston in really great shape. Six behind Texas, so three and a half behind the Astros. Only half a game behind Toronto, as we know they're tied in the loss column, and they are three games up now on Boston, who lost yesterday. The only real bummer here, neither Castillo nor Kirby is going to get to pitch this weekend. Brash probably going to need at least a day off tonight after throwing the ninth in the last two games. On that note, yes, he did give up a home run on Wednesday, but he did convert that save. Now he had a quick one, two, three inning yesterday. At least take notice of the fact that maybe Matt Brash is more fine than uh, anybody has noticed, and he should uh, be okay moving forward. Here's the second thing you need to know. Preseason game number two tomorrow night for the Seahawks, and if it's as fun as the first, I'm all in. I would like to see us play play really hard again. You know, and, and uh, I was really fired up about the, the efforts, uh, you know, and the lack of loafs that we, you know, we look forward to, to count and add up and all that. Uh, the effort from the from the first guys that played to the last guys that played was really consistent, and, and as we tackled a lot better as the game went on, <clears throat> went on, I hope that we can start tackling well in the game. Lack of loafs. It feels like that should be a band name. Lack of loafs. We're gonna count up the lack of loafs over the course of the game and make sure that there aren't too many of them. Uh, let's see some news. Tariq Woolen took all the first team snaps at right cornerback yesterday. Mike Jackson was at left. Trey Brown returned to practice, so that was good news. He moved to the second team, unfortunately for him. So it seems like Mike Jackson is sort of starting to win that competition. Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland, who had been injured at the very end of practice the day before, was able to go. Matt Landers had to sit out with a quad injury. And then the question becomes, who are we going to get a chance to see? Right. What about the starters? I would like to see at least some of them, especially with the off week between the third preseason game and the first of the regular season. No reason I can think of that they shouldn't be trying to ramp up a little bit here over the course of the next two weeks, especially on defense where we've talked about the communication being kind of an issue. Well, let's see them go out there and communicate. Let's see them get themselves into the right spots with their run fits, etc. I know it's not as complex as once the regular season starts, but. You know, you're going to play the Rams week one. Something tells me Sean McVay's been scheming for this one for quite some time. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, as we mentioned, Mariners in Houston for the first of three tonight. It'll be Bryce Miller getting the ball against J.P. France in the opener. Speaking of J.P.'s, might be another couple of days before we see J.P. Crawford, but we got the update yesterday from Jerry Depoto. You know, we're, we're likely, if he continues to improve the way he has, we're likely to see him go out. Because it's been long enough, we're going to have him go out and play at least one rehab game. Uh, somewhere in the Northwest. It's probably going to be at Everett sometime, you know, Friday, Saturday, or this weekend with the hope that he can join us either at the end of the, the trip through Houston or when we get to Chicago. But, you know, again, that is contingent on his continued improvement. Yeah, so we'll see whether or not he's able to go tonight or tomorrow. In the meantime, Jared Kelnick improving as well. Oh, yeah, he was let out of his boot yesterday, actually, so... He's going to very slowly get back into baseball activity. He's been throwing throughout uh, with a boot on, but he's now being released to go do a little bit more aggressive baseball activity. And, you know, the, the rehab process we knew was going to take us into September. That hasn't changed. But you know, what, what day in September, I don't know. But it is, you know, we are optimistic that he is going to contribute before the year's done. I can hear myself chuckling in the background. And it's just because of the idea of Jared being led out of his boot. Like, I just like the idea that he was chained up and they finally let the man be free and he sprinted out of the boot, ready to get himself back out on the baseball field as soon as possible. Something tells me he's a guy you got to slow down in rehab to make sure he doesn't re-injure himself. So hopefully he'll be all right moving forward. All right, there you go. That's everything you need to know uh, here on Brock and Salk. And we do that quarter past every hour. I should also remind you uh, for the Mariners-Astros game, you can hear it uh, tomorrow in its entirety on 770 KTTH, our sister station. Pre-game will be at 3, first pitch at 410. And then you can catch the Seahawks-Cowboys game right here on Seattle Sports. Pre-game at 5 o'clock kickoff at seven so if you want to find we have everything and it gets a little complicated this time of year so seahawks will be here starting at five uh kickoff at seven mariners if you want to listen to the whole thing go to ktth and then of course you can always stream it at seattlesports.com all right fun conversation with jerry depoto yesterday after yet another wednesday win and he took us inside quite a bit of their philosophy there are times where they frustrate me with some of the decisions they make i know i'm not alone but at least they've got an explanation for it you can hear it and decide if you buy it coming up next on brock and salt seattle sports on 710 seattlesports.com The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Well, we do uh, have Jerry DePoto with us, as uh, we generally do on Thursdays. Thanks, everybody, for uh, just allowing for uh, some schedule changes today with uh, what was going on in Kansas City and the early baseball game, etc. But it's nice to be joined by Jerry DePoto right now. And Jerry, I don't know, all of a sudden this team is hot on Wednesdays, which has been fantastic. Yeah, and it, as I said tomorrow when I was checking in, I apologize for the uh, the audio in the background, but I can't seem to get away from it over here at the park. Where <laughs> it's a, weird things happen in Kansas City. <laughs> well, that's for sure, man. What these last three games have just been bizarre. Like, what is it about that park, the weather, the team? Like, what is it that makes for such strange games there? You know, I I, I actually was was my I have family here. You know, my dad, my brother were sitting with me last night. And, I, I can remember so many unusual games here dating back to even when I was playing. So it's, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe the most bizarre game I can recall in, in recent vintage was just last September when we were here. And if you remember like the 10 run innings that were, you know, going back and forth between each team 
while we were in the midst of a pennant race in September. And just, uh, you know, weird and wonky things happen here. Maybe we just don't match up as, as well as we'd like to <laughs> against the Royals. Hey, uh, Jerry, take me back to your playing days when you were a player and it was game 120 of a season. <laughs> Where is your mind and body at here in mid-August, 120 games in? Your body's kind of done, you know, and, and this is <laughs> it's true. And, and you know, you're, you're in month five of a six-month season. You played for, you know, six, seven weeks in spring training and you prepared before that. And, you know, the innings are starting to get on you. For the relievers, it's you know, it's getting up and down in the bullpen. It's the it's the it's the appearances really more than the innings that start to weigh on you about this time of year. And you know, maybe the the it's that three week feeling where you just feel like you're underwater. Your legs are heavy. Your arms feel tired. And then somewhere along the way, you know, the weather flips for you in September, and the air gets a little bit cooler, and you get that one last wind, and 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 you feel fresh again. I don't know why it is, but the heat of the summer, you know, it's, I guess it's why they started calling it the dog days whenever they did. It, it does beat you down, and August is a really tough month for, for big league players. And, and I, I guess the, the benefit was always that in September you could expand the rosters, but now that's even a little bit more limited. So uh, they're, they're fighting through it right now for sure. Well, you'll have to go explain that to Julio and Ty France and some of these guys who all of a sudden are putting together some of the best you know, best at bats and the, the best run they've had all year. How different is this team when Ty France and Suarez and Julio are all hitting like this? This is the team that we thought we had from the beginning, you know, and, and they are, they're on it right now. You know, Julio hadn't been better than this all year. And he's really been, you know, quite good since the start of July and, and Ty since the roughly since the trade deadline, he's been going as good as you can go here as we've gone through the, the first three games of this series. I think so many guys have taken so many good at bats and, and, you know, we've had to because the, the Royals have been really tough on the other side and, and they're locked in. So it's, uh, it, it's as, as fun as we've been offensively in a long time. And, and you know, we've talked about this in, in recent weeks. This isn't a new thing. This is something that's been going on for a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, but we got so conditioned to the struggles in the early part of the season that, that if we struggle for a day, we feel like, oh, we're back in the vortex. But <laughs> the truth is, We've been a pretty interesting offensive team for a little bit now. That's primacy bias, Brock. I remember I was writing about that a week or so ago. Primacy bias is what you see first ends up biasing what you end up seeing later, specifically on Julio, though, because what's been interesting to me is, is seeing him hit the way he has, contribute the way he has. And while he's hit home runs, it has not been a barrage of home runs that has shown his dominance. He's kind of been doing a little of everything, it seems like. Oh, it's a, he's an exciting player. And I, we've talked about this before, you know, from the base running and defense, which is the foundation of it all, that has been there from day one and never went away. And I, I think, and Scott, I don't feel like I'm betraying a confidence. Scott actually said to him last night after the game, you know, the, the ground ball that he hit through the right side, to, which I believe was his fourth hit of the night, or, yeah. to, and picked up that run, was, Scott said, that's my favorite bat you've had all year. Just doing that little thing and it makes such a huge difference and and when Julio is at the center of it and he's driving it you know it's it does make a huge difference and, and you know add that to the fact that that at some point here uh, hopefully it, by the time we get through Houston or or to Chicago we have JP back and 
and we're back at full strength with guys in good streaks and Julio doing really all the things that his tools allow him to do and impacting the game in that way. It just it, it, it makes those last six weeks of the season look like a lot of fun. Two things along those lines, Jerry. Isn't that and shouldn't that be the advantage of youth? That as you talked about these dog days, you know, in a game 120, when you're 22 years old and you've got a childlike joy to play this game and you set the table for everybody else, is this where youth should come to life a little bit on this roster too? Yeah, young legs help. <laughs> I, bet, I, I bet I didn't feel quite as bad when I was 24 as I did when I was 33. But, you know, it does. It, 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 at the end of the day, I, I do think being in a, a, a playoff race is energizing. And, you know, it, it does help, even if you don't have the young, fresh legs. And, you know, amazingly for Julio, at the, and I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll reference a player that I, I had a number of years ago who, when asked if he was tired because he was playing every day, he said, I'm 25 years old. I want to play every day. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's the mentality of these guys. They're, they're disappointed when they're not in the lineup. They want to find a way to make it work every day. But, you know, here, especially when we get to – we've been blessed here with excellent weather in Kansas City. And, and I, when we get to Chicago, I understand it's going to be a little warmer than this. So, you know, that, that's when you might feel the, the heaviness back on you again, and those young legs will come in handy. Would you rather see Julio hit 40 home runs or 55 doubles? Uh, Can I take both of those things? (laughs) Yeah, I guess my my answer to the question would be when he hit the 55 doubles, who was on base? (laughs) Because in the end, it's about scoring the runs. And, you know, 40 homers, we know we scored at least 40 runs. And and uh, what's fascinating is he has the, the ability to do both of those things and steal 50 bags and play gold glove defense and, it just kind of speaks to his talent. Hey, one of the things we've been debating over the course of the last week or so is is what the strategy is and whether it's changed a little bit over the years with a man on third and uh, one out late in the game and, and the idea of trying to set up a double play with the intentional walk. A few different times you guys have gone away from that. Is that an organizational philosophy? Is it built on numbers? What should we know about that? You know, I, I do think that uh, there are there are times and places where traditional baseball philosophy is still the the appropriate way to go. Now, last night, frankly, we we did a couple of things. We made mistakes that we don't ordinarily make, and that goes against a baseball tradition and or or a philosophy. I think Scott, for the most part, is not prone to, to putting a runner on base, especially in those extra inning situations, if that runner represents. Uh, something significant or you know in cases like this lineup if if that puts you in position where Bobby Witt Jr. is is you know in the in the hole so to speak that's you don't really want to be there <laughs> so you're you're trying to find ways to manage your way through the innings and and I think the the ghost runner at second base has really forced managers around the league to be creative in how they implement that that baseball philosophy and mm. you know it's Sometimes tradition is the way to go. Sometimes taking a crack at it because you know you're a little thin in the bullpen and you got to go win the game now is is the way to go. And and I I do think that the fact that we've been a little beaten down a number of extra inning games, a lot of close games over the last week, does affect decision making because you're running a little thin in the pen. 
What have your eyes seen, speaking of baseball tradition, and Jerry DePoto here with us, baseball tradition, when I was growing up and watching it, was, well, you had closers, right? You had Goose Gossage and the great closers of the game, and those final three outs are all a little different, and, you know, we've seen that massaged a little bit through the years as well. Um, obviously, Mooney and Brash have gotten some incredible opportunities here in these late innings to close it out in Paul's absence. What have your eyes seen with them handling that role? Uh, you know, in some way, this is all new to Matt. This is a, an opportunity, a growth opportunity. And I, I do think that you'll get growth pains along the way. And that's just part of the, the exercise. Mooney's done this a little bit before. And, you know, with the exception of, I would say, this year, you know, while Mooney was on the IL and, and we were mostly, if not exclusively, going to Paul in the ninth inning, for the majority of the time since Edwin Diaz left after the 2018 season, we have been pretty, you know, timeshare, whether it's 60% Paul, 20% second rider, you know, 10% Mooney, whatever the, the scenarios, we always pick the pockets to throw, you know, the, the pitchers in. And I, I think in, in Mooney's current situation, he's getting more of those ninth inning opportunities, kind of flip-flopping with Matt Brash, depending on who's prepared. And it's, it's tough to judge in a moment because it is August because guys are tired and you know, Mooney's had a rough week and it's probably the first rough week he's truly had since he's been a Mariner. So, you know, being too judgy in the, in the early going, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that he's pitching the ninth inning instead of the seventh through the eighth. He's pitching against tough pockets while he's trying to figure out where his stuff's at. And, you know, the night before last, when we put him in the game, we put him in a tough situation and asking him to get five outs. And, and this is, again, a beaten down bullpen that has really pitched a lot of high leverage situations dating back to last Friday. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a tough stretch for him. And it was nice to have the rock give us seven innings last night, just to give the guys down there a little bit of a break. I'm going to ask you about him in a moment, but uh, just last thing on Munoz, you mentioned trying to find his stuff and just looking at the radar guns we see on TV. It looks like the velos down a couple of ticks. Is, is he struggling a little bit with velo and his slider? Where, what are you seeing with his stuff right now? You know, I say he has become a little more fastball centric here in the last couple of weeks. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, a design, but the, the downtick in velo, it over the weekend against Baltimore, he was throwing, you know, 98, 100 miles an hour. And, but he did pitch multiple consecutive days. And then again, here it's multiple consecutive outings. And now it's a five out outing and, and bouncing back after that, we've never really asked Andres to do that. You know, it, it's the, the, outside of the, the we'll call it the, the two weeks leading into the, the postseason last year and then during the postseason. And, you know, there's a, a place and a time for that. But, you know, getting into that mode in the middle of August is tough. But when you're playing multiple extra inning games, I think we played four extra inning games in the space of a week. That does put your high leverage bullpen in a position to, to have to go out there tired. And Mooney's out there tired right now. Hope we were able to stay away from him last night. Hopefully we're able to do it again today and, and make sure that he's fresh while we go into Houston. Well, and so you mentioned Castillo and what he gave you guys last night, going seven innings. He probably was not his best start in a lot of ways, didn't have a lot of strikeouts, gave up a lot of hard contact. I had a little conspiracy theory here on the show earlier this morning, and maybe you can prove it for me. Was that by design? Is he going out there and maybe pitching to contact a little bit more and trying to not necessarily strike everybody out in order to get deeper into that game? 
I think he, he definitely did that. And the, the first pitch of the game was, I think, 91.9 miles an hour. <laughs> and and I, I said, well, you know, the Rock is in give them innings mode. And at, uh, I will say this, and this is out of respect to the Royals, they do a phenomenal job of fouling off pitches, putting pitches in play. They're not a high strikeout team in an era of high strikeout teams. And they swing a ton. They swing at strikes, they swing at balls, and they put them in play. And part of the reason why we've been beaten down in the bullpen is that, you know, we were short on the on the start Monday with Logan. We were short on the start Tuesday with Emerson. And, and we just needed somebody to eat into the 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 game a little bit. And and that's what we saw with the Rock. He went out there and he did what veteran aces do. He, you know, he went out and he ate up seven innings on a day where he didn't have his best stuff, but he had the he had a mentality when he went out there that I am getting the team to the back of this game. And, and he did it. How unselfish is that? How important is it for the other guys in the clubhouse to see it? I think it's huge. And it's a, we've seen other guys do it, but you know, Luis has done it whenever we've needed him to do it since the day he walked through the door. And, and I've said this before about the rock, you know, he, he'll go out there and he'll throw the, the low hit, high strikeout dominant game sitting in the mid upper nineties and and he looks like Cy Young, and, and he walks off the field with a smile, and he goes out there last night and, you know, fights his way through a lot of base runners and hits and, and traffic on the bases, and he walks off with a smile. He's, you know, he, he is such a – he has that goldfish mentality, and he just moves on to the next, and he knows what the team needs, and, and he just gives you that thing. And it's it, it, he is the epitome of an unselfish pitcher, and I think the, the fact that he's by far our most experienced pitcher – gives the other guys something to look to. Well, the guy going uh, this afternoon in just a couple hours has been absolutely filthy. And if Luis is the rock and, and Logan's got an alter ego named Walter, we got to figure something out for Kirby because uh, the guy has just been – I mean, he hit, Jerry, at least on the television copy the other day, 100 miles an hour against Baltimore on that Saturday night. I mean, he's sitting upper 90s. He took the ball and shoved it for nine innings against those guys in a shutout. Uh, how, how is George continuing to take these steps and emerge? I, I just feel like George can do just about anything he wants to do with the ball. And, and it's, it's always been this way. And, you know, from the time his stuff really started to mature, and I'm going to date back, this is, you know, this is probably at the alt site in 2020 when we really saw George go from, you know, excellent stuff, excellent command to elite stuff, elite command. And, it's, uh, you know, that combination of ingredients with his mind to pitch and a competitiveness that, and I, and I don't want to downsell anybody else on our staff because it's a competitive group, but, you know, George has a different way about him on a game did day. He, and Yeah, it, Jerry, uh, did, he have that at, did, he, did he have that at Elon? I mean, that's the thing that struck me. I got to see him in a home game, and he, every inning, is steaming. Like, this is George Kirby from Elon, right? That was supposedly a total command, low 90s guy. You know, as you said, great stuff, first-round pick. But he has turned into just a fire breather. Like, when you see him in person, he is as intense fire breather as anybody as you got on your roster. Was it was that always in him? I can't tell you about his full-time at Elon. I can tell you in his draft year, we saw a very composed, relaxed, competitive guy who – you don't know because Elon by vert, it's probably how he got George is because he was matriculating at Elon. If he was, you know, if he was at the university of Florida, it probably goes in the first five picks in the draft, <laughs> truth be told. And, and, you know, we did see a competitor 
but we've been blown away by by just how competitive he is. And it's not just when he's pitching every fifth or sixth day. It's on the golf course. It's in the side games. It's a, it's his skills. You know, really transcend just the baseball. It's, he is good at whatever he tries, and he's incredibly competitive at whatever that thing is. <laughs> and he, he holds himself to a different standard than than a lot of people do. And I I think that makes him great. <laughs> It's been interesting watching this team, just seeing some guys, you know, Brock mentioned the idea of sort of clearing the way and seeing some folks step up into those spots. I didn't realize Caballero had as many steals as he did until I looked up and saw the numbers the other day. Seeing Marlowe over the course of the last few weeks, uh, I think it's been just really, really fun. How about some of the guys that we're waiting to see if they can make it back? Uh, you mentioned JP. Where, where do you think JP is at in terms of his availability for the weekend? You know, we're we're likely if he continues to improve the way he has, we're likely to see him go out because it's been long enough. We're going to have him go out and play at least one rehab game uh, somewhere in the Northwest. It's probably going to be at Everett sometime, you know, Friday, Saturday, or this weekend, with the hope that he can join us either at the end of the, the trip through Houston or when we get to Chicago. But you know, again, that is contingent on his continued improvement. Uh, it's he my. The feedback I'm getting is that he feels pretty good right now. He's, he's executing baseball activity, and we are going to get him out there for at least a, a one-game rehab look where he can get some ABs versus live pitching. And how about Jared? I'm sorry? How about Kelnick? Oh, yeah, he was let out of his boot yesterday, actually, so he's going to very slowly get back into baseball activity. He's been throwing throughout uh, with a boot on but he's now being released to go do a little bit more aggressive baseball activity. And, you know, the, the rehab process we knew was going to take us into September. That hasn't changed. But you know, what, what day in September, I don't know. But it is, you know, we are optimistic that he is going to contribute before the year's done. Why can I imagine him getting out of that boot like a caged animal at the zoo? Like, <laughs> how ready he ran out of the doctor's office with <laughs> yes. his arms over his head. His, uh, you know, you want to talk about competitive. Uh, the yes. word released from his boot almost sounded like he was released from handcuffs. Like, all right, yes. let the guy out of his chains and off he goes. He's going to start storming around. Uh, Cal Raleigh's another guy I wanted to focus on for a few minutes. I feel like we've gone through quite a few of the folks on the team today, but could we see a Cal Raleigh 30 home run season at some point? We might see it this year. You know, it's uh, Cal. It's, it's, the, it's, he has a way of, of doing the, the thing that you need him to do. You know, the big homer, the big moment seems to find Cal. And the one thing that you, you let slip your mind, I, I, my dad said it to me watching the game last night. He said, I saw something today that said Cal has the most home runs among any catcher in baseball since last year. I said, I, I don't know if anybody really gives him that credit. And he's excellent behind the plate. And he manages the run game. And he, there's so many pluses with Cal. And I, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that hits 280, 300. That's just not his skill set. But he takes his walks. He hits his homers. He finds big times to come up with big hits. And at the end of the day, if you've got a catcher that has the ability to drop 30 homers on you, be an above-average league OPS guy who, by virtue of the park we play in, probably going to sit in the 120 range and in, in OPS plus. That's a real advantage when you couple it with real defense. And, and he's still so young. There's so much better that he can get. Uh, I'll, and last thing for me, Jerry, just circling back to my first question of game 120 as a player, 
I'm going to imagine it's pretty cool as game 120 as team president that you get to watch some baseball with your dad and brother. I mean, how, how cool, just as you you referenced it a couple times, how cool is that for you right now? It's really cool. Uh, and, I, you know, it's one of my favorite parts about coming to Kansas City. It's as weird as the games get. I do get to see my family. And, you know, my, my brother lives here in Kansas City. My, my parents live in Omaha. And the chance to, to have them kind of come and visit, sitting between, you know, dad and brother yesterday. And I think we were in the in the seventh inning of the game. And, you know, the Rock's out there trying to finish it through. And, and we've got a little bit of traffic on the bases. And my brother turns around to me and says, hey, how are the kids? And I said, we're at the same game, but we're not watching it the same way. <laughs> I was going to say, do they give you grief? I mean, like, are they sitting there watching and talking trash about the team to you? Are they totally supportive? What is that relationship like? <laughs> no, my, my, my dad is into it. He and my mom watch every game on TV. He knows the players. He has mm. his favorites. He has opinions on what he watches, oh, just like any fan does. And, <laughs> uh, my brother doesn't really pay attention that much. He's, you know, he watches when we're in town and, generally it lives through the, the the wins and the losses without really knowing the underlying detail that's awesome, that's awesome man what a what a what a cool experience well jerry we appreciate it uh these are a feisty little royals team so it would be nice to uh see a nice clean easy one today maybe uh find, <laughs> maybe we can find a way to get out uh uh perez because i i don't i don't know where you're supposed to throw the ball to get him out it seems like he can hit anything in either batter's box, over the plate, whatever. So maybe you guys got a plan for that. I'll tell you. And we talked about Salvi. We've talked right now. Michael Matthews just locked in. You can't be hotter than Bobby Witt Jr. has been for the last you know month or so. They have good players, and right now they're they're playing at the very top of their ability. And Oh, we got to find a way, and and there's not a better guy to have on the mound when you want to find a way than Kirby. Yeah, I'm sorry to say, I kind of like this Royals team. I was talking yesterday about how much I hate them, and I kind of do, but I also kind of like them. Like they're kind of, I just like that they're feisty. They are. They fight. They play hard. They run hard. They're athletic, and you know, right now their pitching is just in back of where their position player group is developmentally, and now they're but. They're they're just at the beginning of, of what I think is is going to be a, a long rebuild to get them back where you know they want to be and they're going to have to build like they always have through yep. scouting and development and they do that traditionally they do that as well as anybody. Pretty cool, Jerry. Thank you very much. Enjoy Thanks, the Jerry. time with your family. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Well, it was clean enough uh, the win they ended up getting after that conversation yesterday. Clean enough because the Royals. Uh, they are a feisty little team, and they do some things out on the base paths and in the batter's box that sort of drive this Mariner team crazy. And thankfully, they don't pitch very well, and the Mariners took advantage, especially late. If you have woken up this morning and demand to hear Julio Rodriguez hitting a clutch three-run home run, don't worry. I got your back. Next.